This podcast is rated PG-13 for parents cautioned. We encourage parent guidance for children under 13. You're listening to BearCast by ASF. Take a look at this post that came up on my Instagram feed. Let's read it. Buy a picture, save children. Whoa, that's a pretty big statement. Take a look at this other picture that also came up on my Instagram feed. Read the caption. Help save children's lives. Give the gift of childhood and donate now. Whoa, that's a pretty big statement as well. As a 17-year-old living in 2022, I am constantly surrounded by posts like these. Posts that claim that quick-fix charity can create social change or save the less fortunate. And I'm sure that if any of you opened your phone at any given time, you could also find a post of an urgent charity call within minutes. They are everywhere. And the exposure to these kinds of posts led me to beg the question, can I do as the posts say? Can I save the world? But most importantly, they led me to beg an even bigger question. Is charity good or is charity for the privileged? With over 10 million nonprofit and non-governmental organizations worldwide, it's pretty logical that trending global humanitarian issues constantly surround us. Think of how our phones blew up in 2022 in February when the Stand with Ukraine tag was all over our social media. Or the Pray for Afghanistan hashtag that became popular when President Biden removed the American troops. Think of any natural disaster, like the Haiti earthquake in 2010, where millions of posts, like this one, ask users to help donate to relieve the effects of the earthquake. Now, think about how fast they also lost popularity, how our conversations quickly shifted from these charity calls, and how the urgency to create change also disappeared. So why is it that social movements gain so many numbers, and how can we effectively assist the cause at hand? Well, social movements gain many numbers because of the humanistic emotional need to become heroes that lives in all of us. As humans, we like to be the protagonist. We like to feel like we're saviors. And in modern day, this feeling is best granted through doing charity. However, this notion of needing to save or rescue the less fortunate is quite threatening when we lose perspective of our own privilege and perspective of the strength of the marginalized communities we are attempting to help. While the foundations of most philanthropic acts do lie in helping the vulnerable, most social service does not diminish core issues. Instead, charities promote the notion that privileged individuals are to save the marginalized, and the marginalized are to wait for their saving. The incentive behind donating and volunteering becomes about the donator and the volunteer, instead of truly assisting the cause at hand. This idea is called the white savior industrial complex. The white savior industrial complex is first coined by Tiju Cole, this man over here, a phenomenal writer, who created the term in response to the American production of Kony 2012, a video criticizing Ugandan leaders. Now, beyond its initial prompt, the white saver industrial concept complex is the concept 
that privileged individuals exploit others' vulnerabilities by finding short, quick-term solutions to complex social issues with the purpose of reaping the emotional benefits of helping others. We will be taking a look at the white saver industrial complex with two major lenses. One, the lens of the privileged individuals, those who participate in charity. And two, the lens of the marginalized individuals, those who receive the help. So let's move on to lens one. How does the white savior industrial complex affect privileged individuals? Well, individuals that participate in quick fix charity often have a conscious or unconscious bias that they are becoming heroes by volunteering. The problem at hand is that most individuals who declare themselves as allies of trending social issues claim to act in solidarity, yet rarely take the opportunity to understand the complexity of the social issue and how others' marginalization benefits and serves their own privilege. The question posed is, how do I quickly help those in need instead of what is causing this need to occur in the first place? Let me explain this in an example. The United States government economically exploits countries like Haiti for years by implementing forced cheap labors. Americans mostly say nothing. Then, when Haiti is faced with a massive earthquake, like in 2010 or in 2022, Americans are quick to post about sending prayers. Some even take the time to donate $10. However, what most fail to recognize is that Haiti was destroyed not simply because of the earthquake, but because the USA's exploitation of Haiti limited it from investing in better construction technology or in strengthening its economy. Now, it's not to say donations in times like such are useless. They're most definitely not. But it is essential to go beyond them to truly create change. In this example, Americans should follow up on how their foreign policies perpetuate the exploitation of Haiti instead of just donating. Recognizing that if they do donate, they are not heroes or saving Haiti, but have benefited from their poor economic situation. Do you see the difference? Let me give you another example, one that I'm sure all of us in the audience are probably familiar with, the famous service trip to Africa. Now, I say Africa because, again, as a society, we have labeled Africa as this whole continent that needs saving. But, well, it is popular for individuals to go to Africa, participate in some kind of social service, post about it, and be labeled as heroic. Once more, this notion that volunteers are becoming the knight in shining armor is prevalent. Yet the issue is that they often fail to acknowledge the complexity of the poverty most volunteer sites face. They also often fail to acknowledge that members of their own communities face these same issues. In this audience, we simply need to cross the street to our neighbors in Observatorio to find the same poverty levels. Therefore, it is crucial to acknowledge that members, that these service trips are generally for people to visit Africa and see these unique cultures. In this example, to create real change, those wanting to help should instead pay local workers to do the jobs that they would have volunteered to do, as these local workers have the skill sets necessary, not to mention it would provide locals with job opportunities. Once again, do you see the difference? Essentially, privileged individuals are written as noble for short acts of charity instead of recognizing how they benefit from others' oppression. 
For that matter, we must not let social service provide validation for the continual exploitation of others. Let's move on to my second lens. How does the white savior industrial complex affect marginalized individuals? Well, mindless volunteering and social service also enforces the narrative that those who receive the help are incapable of their own perseverance because they're indisposed. Society says that when granted unequal access to opportunities, individuals are expected to either A, prosper under these very inferior conditions, or B, wait for their savings by the more members, by the more privileged members of society, as they don't have the skill sets necessary. The white savior industrial complex strips away the basic self-worth, self-determination, and self-respect of the members of the oppressed group because they are denied the basic ability to save themselves. In other words, when an individual's success is placed in the hands of another, their value is also neglected. Instead of acknowledging the capabilities of resistance and perseverance, charity foresees the volunteer as the sole role model. However, this rendering that charity gives us is incorrect as these communities are strong and compelling. Let me explain this in an example. Think about August 2022 and the Afghanistan situation. The media focused on how countries and individuals in the Western Hemisphere donated to help assist, instead of also giving exposure to the brave Afghans who themselves actively fought for their own country and had been actively fighting for years prior. Let me give you another example, one that I'm sure all of us in the audience are probably familiar with as well. There are popular foundations that seek volunteers to build houses all around Mexico. However, when they call civilians like us who have probably no idea about anything construction related to build homes for these people in need, what kind of message does it send? Well, they tell people that they must rely on others' actions to have something as basic as a house. The issue is not that there's not enough capable construction workers or engineers in the, lo in the local area. There is. And bringing in volunteers who are probably the least qualified to build these homes really isn't helping the issue either. Once again, it enforces the narrative that, in that it enforces the narrative that marginalized individuals are to wait for their savings and have their basic necessities met. If people want to help in this example, they should raise money to hire qualified local individuals to build these homes, provide these homes, and most importantly, provide jobs with the purpose of making these marginalized individuals and these marginalized communities self-sustainable. Essentially, the narrative must shift from saving the oppressed to encouraging and helping their potential by granting them the same kinds of opportunities. Now, while the white saver industrial complex inevitably affects charity, it is important to mention that not all social service is ill-intentioned. Even when the patronizing effects of rapid volunteering extend, some intentions are still, notably, noble. Not because an individual quickly donated to charity did not further investigate the costs and felt somewhat proud of themselves have their actions become entirely foul. As a result, labeling all charity as malient would be unfeasible. That is not the point of this analysis. So where does this information lead us? Well, it leads us to reevaluate how we view charity and reestablish our perception of our own privilege. Going further, recognizing core issues, and assisting more meaningfully. Me, as a 17-year-old, and you, as members of the audience, when we see a popular call to action, ask yourselves, 
How is it that the group in need is being oppressed? Reevaluate how we can help beyond posting. Ask ourselves, are we, or the government, do we support assisting the oppression of these people? And most importantly, remind ourselves that if we help, it is not because we are wonderful human beings, saviors, heroes, or godly-like, but because centuries of systematic oppression has, have put us in a place of privilege. So yes, charity does make us feel good, and it is for the privileged, but we must also pursue ways for it to be effective and long-lasting. Thank you. That's all for today. Stay tuned for the next episode.